Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We're digging into the digital revolution and it is in full swing. There's no doubt about that. We've got uh, everything from great resignations to great reawakenings to revolutions and overhauls and disruptions and re-eruptions and so forth. It's a wild time. And our good friend, wonderful guest, Tony Uphoff, who is the CEO of Thomas, is here with us every month to offer some fantastic perspectives. Tony, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. Hey, thank you, Bob. It's great to see you. Tony, these are wild times we're living in. And uh, I know just before we came on, you and I were both reflecting on uh, something that really puts these sort of revolutions and disruptions in, in perspective. We are both the, uh, both have very, very young granddaughters. So this, uh, this puts fresh eyes on a, on a crazy new world, right? Boy, doesn't it makes you think, Bob? You know, you and I have just had so much fun and and benefit of watching all the technical disruption over the better part of twenty five or thirty years. It, it does make me think about not just the next generation, but a few generations, uh, including one just born uh, three months ago. Of of you know, I, I our our daughter's generation grew up not knowing a world without the internet. I often think of our daughters daughters look at the world and, and what will they take for granted that are just understood technologies that they'll that, that the parents will tell them, well, when I was your age, I didn't have that, but I guarantee it'll be something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Tony, from your perch uh, as the CEO of Thomas and some of the incredible data that ThomasNet uh, accumulates there between buyers and sellers in industrial and manufacturing markets, you're seeing some very interesting trends and almost like an advanced peek into some of this stuff that's doing supply chain shortages and reshoring and so on like that. So you had some pretty interesting uh, perspectives on what's going on now and what's likely to come. Yeah. You know, I think we've talked about before in your show and boy, your listeners, if they've not listened to you and I talked before, they can certainly relate to this concept that the topic of supply chains has become cocktail party banter about Thomas Ned, unless they were in the manufacturing industry or those types of things. But boy, I've got friends of mine that calling me out of the blue, asking me questions about the supply chain, and a supply chain disruption and all this kind of stuff. So clearly it's on everybody's mind with good reason, because we are witnessing um, in some cases, some pretty extreme supply chain disruptions. And it, it's clearly starting to have an impact as we get a little closer to the holiday season that we're going to feel some, some impact from it. I think what's fascinating about it, Bob, though, is the, the reality of why there's a supply chain disruption, I think, it is, is confusing to a lot of people. So, what, gee, what, what caused this? I mean, did, did something break? Did... Did a ship sprung a leak? Uh, did we have another ship stuck in the Suez Canal? Like what, what, what the heck is causing all this? And, and I guess for your listeners, what I would point out, which is really kind of fascinating, there's kind of two dimensions of this thing that are, are really important to, to understand. If you think about basic supply and demand, right? Basic supply and demand economics, and let's use something as straightforward as the automobile industry. In any given year, the volatility of a supply and, and, and demand isn't all that extreme. Some years in the car business are better than others, but it, it's not like in, in like the cloud computing market where we see 40% growth, right? It, it's a relatively stable market. I would even dare say somewhat predictable. So while you see someone like Tesla struggling with production based on a, a demand, 
that's not representative of the overall auto industry. It's representative of, a, of an upstart, very, very uh, successful uh, brand learning how to figure out production. Well, what's happened, and if we stick with the auto industry for a minute, they've had an uplift in demand. And while that uplift in demand isn't 30 or 40%, it's more modest than that. Even that relatively small increase in demand is wildly disruptive because everything down the line from that demand or that that demand, let me say it this way, triggers is actually set on some relatively stable foundations, not the least of which, Bob, is people, right? So as you start to look at this and you think to yourself, well, gosh, shouldn't auto companies just be thrilled? There's an increase in demand. They didn't see this coming. The pandemic had the opposite impact on some of these markets that many people thought more and more people are buying cars or upgrading their existing cars or whatever. That should be great for the auto industry. Well, it's great as long as you anticipated it. If you didn't anticipate it, you, you, you might actually be pretty frustrated right now because what happens at every step of the supply chain, even with all the advances in technology that we understand, it requires people. And, and I'll tell you the height of irony about this, Bob, is not only skilled labor uh, around manufacturing and those things, and that labor shortage in manufacturing is not new. But again, if we increase demand, that increase for skilled labor goes up with it and, you know, if, if, if it was scarce to begin with, it's going to be, be scarce as demand goes up. But I think what's fascinating is things you don't think about, um, things like truck drivers. And so part of the reasons, if any of your listeners live anywhere near a port, you see all of these huge cargo ships anchored off offshore waiting to come in is not because they don't have enough people to unload the, the cargo. Um, in some cases, that's true, but for the most part, part of it is what, what people refer to as the last mile, Bob, right? Literally having physically enough trucks and enough truck drivers, you know, we still truck the vast majority of goods in this country by either, either unit number or, or value. And we, we literally don't have enough truck drivers in many cases. So my long kind of tail here is really coming back to the core thing that you would think an increase in demand is a fantastic thing for any industry, but very different than say software, where as the demand for your product scales, right? It's not a one-to-one -one correlation with the number of people it takes to produce the second unit of and third unit of that software. These, these physically manufactured goods uh, are struggling a bit in, in terms of the, you know, managing the, the supply chain in all of the individual pieces. And for, for, for laymen like you and me, we would look at that and go, well, wait a minute, why, you know, why don't you just add more technology? Yeah. At some point, it gets to the point where literally we need people to physically move these things by truck. And if we don't have enough trucks and we don't have enough people, we're not going to be able to. Yeah. Tony, yeah, I've seen some of those photos there in um, where's the the port in Orange County, the, you know, there's what is 65, 70 giant ships out there. But as you're saying, there's no room in the port. They, they've sort of maxed out on unloading things into the port. Nothing's not enough stuff's going out of the port to match up with what's coming in. It It is a little it is a little crazy because everybody's wondering, you know, I think, as you said here, well, demand for car goes up, steel companies will be happy. You know, the plastics company, paint companies, leather companies, upholstery, all the sub-assembly parts that go into a car. But 
it's just a crazy time. But I think, Tony, you're, you make a great point about the labor shortage, too, because the supply chain thing is often about stuff. But without the people in there to you know, move this every step of the way, that goes forward. So, Tony, that, those remarkable images of all those giant container ships sitting you know, a few miles offshore, they came from offshore means they came from another country, right? And not here. So you had maybe a, a little thought about this as well. And you, it's been a great theme that you've, you've uh, shared with everybody over the last year or, uh, or so since you really started to key onto this reshoring idea, Tony. So what's going on now with this uh, part shortage, uh, supply chain shortage? And I love how you've become a superstar at cocktail parties and then the neighborhood, right? This, this is great. We all have to well, it used to be, I'd say I, I, I work at Thomas and thomasnet.com and manufacturing is a $3 trillion industry. And the next thing you know, people would kind of just quietly move away and go mingle somewhere else. Now there's a line waiting to uh, to talk supply chain and all things supply chain. Hey, I, I think your your point is really interesting and to illustrate it for, for your listeners, um, reshoring, for, for those that haven't heard that, is exactly what it sounds like. And it's been happening for the better part of 10 or 12 years, Bob. It, while it's not new, it is accelerating dramatically. To give you a sense of perspective, our latest survey shows that U.S. manufacturers are likely or extremely likely, 83% of U.S. manufacturers, pardon me, are likely or extremely likely to reshore some or all of their manufacturing over the next 12 months. Now, why is that, Why in, in the last survey before, that was a year before, that was at 53%. So this is really growing very quickly. You, you gave the punchline as to why companies are starting to look at this, right? So as you, if you think to yourself, well, gee, I, I've been manufacturing a component that goes into my Ford F-150 pickup truck in Vietnam or in, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a uh, a rural area of China. And it's been very cost-effective for us, right? We've been able to produce that part at a buck. And here in the US, boy, the last time we looked was probably 15 years ago, but man, that was probably three, maybe even 350 by the time it was already you know, all loaded. Now, suddenly you're looking at this and thinking to yourself, well, hey, wait a minute, there's been advances in technology. If I can't get the goods shipped and the lion's share of F-150 purchasers are here in a you know, multi-state area in the United States, now suddenly that math gets very different very quickly because A, I don't have to pay for the logistics to get it here. B, heaven forbid there's a disruption, which frankly, dollar signs are flashing. We don't think about this. So you, know, you wanna bake into your ROI, bake in the idea that you know, supply chain disruption, yes, can happen to you, so now what's starting to happen is companies are looking at proximity to clusters of customers, Bob, and we've talked about this before. So that I think is, pardon the expression as we're talking automobiles, giving fuel to this idea of reshoring. And it is, it is both a forcing function, Bob, but also an enabling function for companies to reevaluate that. And as always, and your listeners would know, you know better than most audiences, the, 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 uh, the component that matters here is advanced technology. Mm -hmm. Because if we weren't seeing these advances in technology where we could build leaner manufacturing uh, operations, we could use additive manufacturing, we could use all types of advanced uh, manufacturing, 
so we could have a smaller footprint manufacturing facility, perhaps, perhaps multiple. So as opposed to, you know, uh, locating in one factory, we might break that into four or five that have proximity to final assembly, proximity to customers, proximity to talent, proximity to energy grids. So it, it just is opening up so much. So all a long way of saying, you know, when you, when you pull on this thread, boy, do you, you unravel a lot of different pieces. The way that a lot of US companies are dealing with supply chain disruption actually is by reshoring, to your point, Bob. There, it's like, hey, you know, I'm gonna bring it a little closer. I think the other thing that's connected here is there is a pretty stark awakening um, when it comes to supply chain management, particularly on the financial and procurement side of things. So this is something that doesn't get a lot of coverage for understandable reasons, right? You're, you're not gonna find a procurement uh, professional to Fortune 100 company that's gonna go, hey, hey, we beat up suppliers, boy, we had that all wrong. What were we thinking? We're rethinking our strategy. But trust me, they are. And, and I think these, this tends to go in cycles. Bob, you and I have seen this in the computer industry where big companies with three letter acronyms would just beat the daylights out of suppliers and beat them down to such a point where the, the suppliers weren't even really making money. And at some point it caused disruptions. And I, I think what's happening, which is a huge positive, is I think particularly for small to medium manufacturers, which make up an enormous amount of Fortune 100 manufacturer supply chains, I think procurement in particular is taking a far more enlightened point of view of saying, hey, we need to support these folks. Maybe we invest in them. Maybe we um, provide them different payment terms. Maybe we you know, offer things in a different way. And I know this seems kind of patently obvious, but in all candor, a lot of these supply chains haven't had to do this before and they haven't had to think this way. So I, I think there's a series of very positive things that are coming from this, Bob, that here, particularly in the United States, are very productive for the US economy, very productive for US jobs and things like that. Um, but, but it's also, you know, I think companies realize, look, we're gonna have to attack this from a lot of different angles, not the least of which is, hey, we, having a, an ongoing antagonistic relationship with all of our suppliers no longer scales. And, and I think that's been true in other industries, frankly, Bob, for a long time. If I'm honest, I think for some parts of U.S. manufacturing, this is 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 still fairly new. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tony, you know, I uh, I, I love what you said a couple of minutes ago. Things that seem fairly obvious, and it's as we've talked about before, right? Um, very few things are uh, complex. Things become obvious until somebody else figures them out. Then it's like, you got oh, it. Well, yeah, that's, you know, now that somebody, of course, yeah, yeah uh, I was going to do that tomorrow. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, but any, whatever the, uh, whatever the impetus there, Tony, I think it's, it's, uh, it's remarkable. And, you know, I'm that notion of uh, the relationship between um, buyers and their suppliers. And uh, there's an old joke it has to do with espionage in three different countries and their, their agents and how they operate. And I don't remember the joke, Tony, but I remember the punchline, which is, the punchline is a guy's got a donkey around the neck and he's whacking it with a stick and he says, say you're a rabbit. Um, so <laughs> you, there, there's a point at which 
uh, right, the supplier uh, with the, uh, or the, the customer with the supplier in the headlock, banging them on the head and thinking, okay, I'll save my rabbit, I'll say whatever you want, but still, you know, yeah. I don't have any more stuff to give you. I can't lower my prices. You're going to get poor quality. And as yeah. soon as I can, I'm going to dump you and go somewhere else. And, you know, we'll, we'll see who's laughing then. It's, it's just a, a wicked thing. And Tanya, I was also thinking in um, one of the things that SAP is doing in uh, mostly in Germany, but some other companies, countries in Europe, is they're establishing sort of an automotive alliance and they're getting yes. a lot of the car companies together, right? And it's all things to do, right? So if there's yep. a recall, a safety issue, they don't have to recall 500,000 vehicles. They can say, no, actually it was these 200. Let's get those back. But they said it's going to involve an entirely different way for buyers and sellers to think about the data they have. And if you want somebody to share data, it's like, wait a minute, if I tell Yep. That person, you know, what my costs are, if they see this, then so it's going to involve, I think, Tony, as you were pointing out here, different mindset and a different approach to it. And maybe that longer term view that says, okay, if I, you know, pound on this person for an extra nickel here, is that going to help me in the future? Or am I going to lose a dollar for every nickel I ring out of this? So, yeah, I think in some ways it's a very healthy uh, reckoning that we're all coming to here in some ways. And the, the great thing, I think, from the tech side is there are going to be some incredible tools coming up to help really drive this and allow companies to see things in different ways using some new technologies that, that have never been deployed before. Bob, look, I'm, I'm a geek for the whole vertical cloud movement, as you know, and, and I'm going to I'm going to perhaps put a rubric or an umbrella atop what you just said and said, I think what you're describing is the payoff of a vertical cloud strategy. So I, I think the opportunity for tech companies, in this case, let me say it that way, to be able to look at the total playing field in a way that the individual manufacturer would have a tough time doing for, for in some cases, relatively obvious reasons and, and be able to provide data and information that could make the overall market uh, healthier and the overall opportunity for those companies without collusion or pricing or any of that kind of nonsense that happens uh, in, in some markets. I, I think we're just beginning to see how that could work. I was really, really excited by Sean Amarati, who is one of your um, uh, one of your digital all-stars as well. And just, uh, you know, you and I are both huge fans of Sean. He's a, uh, a professor at Carnegie Mellon, as well as being a venture capitalist, for those that don't know him. And, you know, paraphrasing what he said on a recent uh, Cloud Wars Live episode, Bob, he was talking about the promise of digital twin for supply chain, the, the recent announcement that Google made. It's getting a lot of, you know, enthusiasm and excitement these days. And if he, what he was basically noting is, you know, I think what he was really trying to say is, hey, this is just the beginning, you know. The example of being able to take internal data, perhaps proprietary to you, and then external data and combine those to see around corners, to look at things that you've never been able to see before, to work with perhaps unlikely partners or whoever it might be. We are just beginning that. And, and I, I think that is, again, I, 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 I um, anchor that back to this idea of the vertical cloud. But I just think there's as as tech companies get deeper and deeper and deeper into these um, these vertical markets, I think we're going to find more application for just fascinating things, and the opportunity to to really um, create um, 
I was going to say scale, and I think that's probably right, scale and capabilities that in many cases, these companies frankly never thought of or, or certainly didn't believe they had access to. So I, I, I think it's a really, I'm, I'm thrilled. I, I think it was you that turned me on to that announcement from, uh, from SAP. I, I was thrilled by that. And I predict, Bob, that's, that's not going to be the only announcement like that we're going to see um, that I think will make a lot of these markets really, really um, healthier. Not that they're not healthy, but you know, make them even more vibrant. Tony, right. And, and not just playing with words here, but healthier, more vibrant and more intelligent, right? We're, we're finally yeah. giving, you know, real meat to that promise that's been around for a while. And, you know, um, now be gentle with me here, because uh, I'm going to make a, a very important point, Tony, in one second. But first, I just want to offer a word from our sponsor, BMC. BMC wants to know, is your business on its A game? That's when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. But uh, Tony, what I was going to say there and where I'm asking you, you know, to, to spare your old pal here a little bit is I would not describe myself as a deep technologist. So, and you know, you don't need to add anything to that. So, um, but I did do something a few weeks ago. I, I, uh, I selected and, and uh, called out in an article in a video, the product of the year. And it was Google Cloud's uh, supply chain twin, what they called it. And because so often in the tech industry, not always, but so often in the tech industry, right? It's this iterative thing. Mine's a little bit better, a little bit faster, cost a nickel cheaper. Mine is that plus some of this that you've always done. I'm putting two things into one, you know, and that's all fine. Get some efficiencies and maybe a better way to do stuff. I'm all for progress. But I thought what was wild about this uh, supply chain twin was they took the two things, supply chain, digital twins, put them together. And as you described, Tony, internal data, external data, partner data, economic forecast, weather forecast, those sorts of things. And as you said, it's the beginning of what's possible here. So I, I just thought it was a fantastic breakthrough. And it's going to give, I think, both buyers and sellers in this whole place a different way. I think the smart company is going to look at this and say, hey, wait a minute, if I take advantage of that, then I don't have to do these costly or time-consuming or complex things. I can focus more time and attention on these good, productive, customer-oriented growth things. And I think it's going to be one of those triggers, Tony, that, that just sets into motion a new wave of thinking, maybe yeah. organizational structures, uh, this sense of trust and data sharing. I, I'm, I'm hugely optimistic about this for companies that are willing to look at it in a mature, sort of grown-up sort of way yeah. where you yeah. don't have to, somebody else doesn't have to lose in order for you to win. Yeah, and Bob, I've been inspired by your writing and, and, and uh, you know, the... the um, the presentation, if you will, of, of your articulation of what's really happening there. Because I think like any industry, and, and I'm a huge fan and, and frankly have been connected to the technology industry most of, my, uh, most of my career. But like a lot of industries, we can get overly fixated on small ball, incremental, two megaflops faster than this and that. And we can get caught up in, in product reviews and analysis and all this kind of stuff. And entire industries have been created around that. And what ends up happening, if you really go back through history, is 
market transitions, true market transitions tend to not come from that. They tend to kind of come out from either a new application or a rethought application of technology. And I think your observation there of product of the year was spot on because it it's, it's not about the technology, it's about the implications of the technology towards some new scalable business end, whatever you know, kind of uh, perspective you wanna put on that. And, and I think you are 100% correct. So if you think of the, the platform technology, if I can use that term of cloud to begin with, I think there's still people waking up and understanding the from to shift that that represents of like, wait, I, I don't need server farms anymore. Whoa, slow down. How, how does this work? And, you know, I, I think I really do. I think a lot of, if you look at the adoption, right, clearly companies are, are waking up to that. But I, I think just at a time when probably the average business leader, if there is such a thing, is kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of get the cloud and I understand the, the, the you know, uh, the benefits and the analysis there. Now it's kind of like, okay, let's kick this up a couple of notches here. And I think whether it's, digital twinning and um, you know services like that. I think what's so fascinating about this particular application of digital twinning, as most of your listeners would know, there really is, is nothing new, arguably, about the concept of a digital twin. That capability has been around for a while. You, you and, and I oftentimes talk, you, you've got a, a daughter and son-in-law who are really into Formula One racing. I'm a huge geek for Formula One racing. Formula One racing is, is the most advanced form of uh, auto racing from a technological point of view, let, let alone the skill of the drivers and the teams. But they've been using digital twinning technology, advanced wind tunnel technology for, for a long time. The aerospace industry, as you know, it, it was a game changer for the aerospace industry where I could actually stress test engines and things like that in a digital format. It's even being used in environments uh, not far from where you live, Bob, in the Pittsburgh area, uh, Shell has built a, a new petrochemical uh, facility and most everything that was de developed there, not only leveraged uh, digital twinning, they have a real-time version of that facility running at all times in a digital twin version so they can monitor all types of different things about you know uh, fits, junctures, pressures, temperatures, all kinds of stuff. So again, long way of saying, well, it's not new, but the idea of saying, hold on, wait a second, I could take something like a supply chain and I could not only model that as a digital twin, I could feed incremental data into it of what, what if there was a storm? What if one per point of this went down? What, you know, that kind of what, what if I had an increment of I could improve it by 0.001%? Wonder what might happen, right? This this is game changing, and I and I know some of your listeners might be thinking, oh, the kid's a little caffeinated today." Uh, you know, it it is it is not an understatement to say that this is the beginning of something that has has really only been used in in very select areas. Um, could now be opened up in a way that we could simulate things in a highly accurate way and make make all of our businesses more predictive, safer, stronger, um, but also find new areas. Um, you know, one of the, the things that, that uh, I've heard Sean Amorati talk about before is these kinds of tools could identify unlikely partners. 
So most of us have a kind of a, yeah, that looks like a partner that doesn't. And we pretend that we've got sophisticated business development folks and analytics and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, you know, we, we kind of kind of know who we think could make a partner to co-create value. And what that basically means is we really don't know other than what's obvious. It's the less obvious that really makes the difference between a good to great business. And so I, I think there's also some analytics here, Bob, that that, that you know, around this idea of co-creating value and partnerships and, and all those types of things that that um, could be really powerful for, for a lot of a, a lot of companies. Oh, Tony, man, I, I agree in the, the sense of uh, optimism you bring to this for companies that are willing to take that, you know, deep sort of long, hard view of things, right? And have the courage then to say, well, we're going to have to change how we do a lot of stuff here. But yeah. the advantages, the, the benefits are going to accrue from this are great. And Tanita, I, I was, uh, so this is many, many, many decades ago, but I was what I would call a cub reporter. And I was assigned to go cover this thing. And it was a speaker from, uh, I think it was Bell Labs, the, the AT&T's R&D team. And he was talking about linear programming. And, you know, I, I don't know how I ever got out of uh, uh, calculus <laughs> class, let alone up in linear programming. I was, I was made every excuse I could, I, but I, anyway, I was told, go cover this. Very disarming uh, speaker, this young guy. And he said, basically, he said, linear programming is a very complex thing. You're trying to route trucks around the world in the most uh, optimal fashion. And he said, all of the work that had gone into it by people much smarter than I were all based on the thing if you go around the surface. And he said, one night he said, I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, what happened if instead of going this way, I went this way? And he said, it's a mathematical model. I don't mean we're tunneling through the yeah. earth. He said, mathematically, what if we took a different approach? And so his, his breakthrough there completely changed how that whole market worked, how that wing of mathematical theory worked and it, it, it's never been the same since then and i do feel that some of the stuff that's coming up now is going to be like that and again um one of the things i love so much about this whole notion of the cloud wars and these 10 extraordinary companies is the you know bitter vicious sort of savage competition that goes along all the time right Google hammers out this thing. Well, I don't think it's going to be too long until there's two or three or four or six of these types of, are they better? We can do this. We can add this. And then what will the next breakthrough bring? So I, I think it's phenomenal what's going on here. And then you take it back to your ideas about, you know, if you really think this through the reshoring, the labor shortage, what's going on here? How are companies going to bypass it and say, okay, yeah. I got burned bad by this in 2021. Yeah. It's not going to happen again. I'm going to make take every move I can make to ensure this doesn't happen again. What have I learned and how do I yeah. avoid it more intelligently, more productively, better for me, better for my customers? Yeah. And, and Bob, I'd, I'd note something that you and I've talked about before. I think when you know market transitions are only, very, only clear in hindsight, because otherwise it's just hype, right? And my hype may not be yours, you, know, you may not buy it, blah, blah, blah. It's only until we look back and kind of go, holy smokes, I, you know, I can remember and it wasn't that long ago that people used to goof on cloud as though it wasn't real. Oh, this is nonsense, you know. And now suddenly everybody's like, oh my God, this is like transformative. And I guess where I'm going with that, Bob, is you know, I I always encourage business leaders as I encourage myself to be to, to have a high degree of scrutiny um, and analyze things 
But once it's very clear that, that this market transition is starting to move, I also you know, suggest to people, there's a downside risk for not really exploring and staying current and, and really understanding what's happening here. And not as in it happens overnight and oh my God, if you missed the curve, you're all out of business. I, I, I don't mean to say it that way because that's not real either. But once a market transition starts, you know, it, 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 there, there, there is a, a stopwatch that gets turned on. Yeah. I don't know how long it is. It varies by industry. In the tech market, it's a very, very short. Applying that technology into a vertical market, it might be a little bit longer. But I, I guess where I'm going, Bob, is ignore it your own peril. Yeah. Because as those transitions start to happen, you know, you're, you've now lost control if you choose not to at least stay current and understand it and delve into it. Um, and what ends up happening, as you and I often talk about, is those that adopt start to move faster. So it's not just like, eh, okay, I get it. I'm eventually going to, it's like painting your house. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got to paint my house at, at, at some point in time. I, I get it. Maybe I got a couple more years. Next door neighbor did it. Eh, I'm, not, I'm not all that motivated. What it means is that your competition is moving in ways you can no longer move, which also means they're setting an expectation for your current customer that's different than what you are able to provide. And, and again, not in that you know, BS way, Bob, of saying, oh, there's a short window and you got to dive in. I, I, I don't mean to, I, I'm, not, I'm not making that pitch, but I do think it's really, really, really critical for uh, business leaders to just have a spidey sense right now of, hey, something's moving. I should pay attention to this, assign somebody to pay attention to it, Take it seriously because I don't want to get caught flat-footed because three years from now, four years from now, I, I, I may not be able to manage this on my own terms. It, I, I may have to dance to somebody else's music, and that's never a good position to, uh, for a business leader to be in. No, 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 especially uh, if, if someone dances like some of us do. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough enough when you know the music, let alone... Uh, Bob, not I, I'm not going to tell tales out of school and suggest you, that you, you, you and I have been at, um, you know, uh, festivities, environments where dancing was to happen and, and that I have actually seen you attempt to dance or that you've seen me attempt to I, dance. I, I wouldn't step into that. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> of course not. And I wouldn't be about to screen share and perhaps show some video of oh, said no. dancing attempt because that would be wildly inappropriate. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at Not even mentioning. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Tony, I'll just say, you know, my, my final thought here, and then please give you the last word here. Um, I'm sorry if I've mentioned this before, but I, I think it's sort of fascinating. The, um, it was, to the best of my research, the first time the term artificial intelligence was used in 1956, yeah. 65 years ago. That incredible. And probably for 60 or 61, 62 of yep. those years, it was as inaccessible as Pluto. But yep. in the past few years, it's become wildly accessible and touches the lives of billions of people around the world every day. Why is that? I'd say it's because of the cloud. The cloud yep. became the delivery mechanism that made it a mainstream business tool. So I think the same thing is happening with what you've talked about, Tony, about some of these issues with supply chain, digital twinning, digital twin supply chains, and the way this is going to go. And I think the cloud is the thing that's going to make this 
uh, all this stuff that was sort of dreamy or speculative over the horizon is going to get very real very quickly. So your counsel to business leaders, Tony, I think is absolutely right. And that the urgency that they need to bring to some of these decisions is more intense than ever before. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. not going to level off at some point that I can see over the next few years. I mean, this is foot down all the way. And yeah. so, yeah, I think that the pace at which sub substantive things are going to change and have huge ramifications, we've never seen anything like this before. And I think your big ideas about how to look at this, how to think about this are, are more valuable than ever. Bob, thanks. And 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 look, I, I think truly, and yeah, you and I have been fortunate to have had a ringside seat for a few of these. These don't happen that often, but this is truly a checkers to chess moment. This is exponentially different in terms of both market opportunities and capabilities, but it's also not for the faint of heart. You're gonna, you're gonna have to dive in. You're, you're gonna have to you know, stay curious, stay, stay involved here, because I think um, whether you're, you look at it from a career point of view as a, as a business leader or individual contributor, uh, or whether you look at it collectively as a company, Either way, these types of transitions don't happen all that often. We, we kind of think they do, but if you really go back through history, you know, they, they don't happen that often. And I think you're right. I think this is going to move pretty quickly. And I also think, Bob, it, it is, you know, it's, it's hard to describe, but I, I think the opportunity to rethink capabilities here is what gets really, really interesting. So simple example, Bob, you know, today an automobile is a, is a, is a, is a rolling computer. Okay, that's pretty obvious. Most people knew, know that, but nobody saw coming that by, by really embracing cloud technology amongst other things, somebody could step into that market and build an upstart company that is seven times more valuable than the largest auto company and produces one fifth of the production. Now, everybody's bending steel, aren't they? Mm, no, right? And, and you start to think about, you know, I, I, I'm not giving a sales pitch for Tesla. I don't own a Tesla, but that is fundamentally built on the model of a cloud model. Now, the idea of, you know, being able to communicate via satellites and other things to upload information to your car has been around for what, 30 years, Bob? 35 years? This, that, that concept's not new, but how to do it at scale and in a different way really embraces what you're saying, I think. And it allowed a, a very clever entrepreneur to step into a market. And again, I remember people goofed on him. I remember people laughed when they couldn't hit their production goal. Nobody's laughing anymore. <laughs> Sure, sure as hell, the, the other major car companies aren't laughing about it, right? And so I think it's a good example, Bob, that makes your point. The, the, the enabling you know, technology shift there of cloud, it has just really set a, a very unique foundation. You know, I'll tell you, if a, if, if a you know, crafty fellow is smart enough to, uh, to come up with the idea of something called Cloud Wars Live, to really harness the, the insights and understanding and frankly, the dramatic implications of the application of cloud-based technology, a fellow like that should be acknowledged for that kind of uh, visionary understanding. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't get it, Tony. I, I don't think it's gonna fly. Hey, I don't I, see I, it, yeah. No, no, and um, I, I, I would just like to ask future discussions like this when we get into stuff with both grandparents 
if you are going to bring up some embarrassing stuff about me, but then decide you're not going to mention it, could you not mention it? And even at all, even you don't have to say you're not going to mention, just don't mention it. Would that you be know, I, we you, you, you know, it, it, we, we didn't get into uh, uh, geoglobal politics and all that kind of stuff. But, but if we had war games theory, it, it, in essence, kind of neutralizes this thing. And that's a long way of saying I think both of us have perhaps not a nuclear option, but enough ammunition that neither one of us would be foolhardy enough to step into kind of a silly discussion and bringing up, you know, nutty things and all that good kind of stuff. But OK. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Tony, fantastic, wonderful to see you. Uh, great conversation. Thanks for the, as always, the riveting ideas about stuff, you know, way outside of, you know, just uh, manufacturing industry and the cloud, but the bigger business world and innovation and what's going on. Really, really fun, Tony, thanks a lot. Hey, Bob, always great to be on and thanks for, uh, for the great discussion and I look forward to seeing you next month. All right. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Hope things are going great for you. And we look forward to seeing you again sometime soon.